A couple of years ago, I was in Buffalo during a break from seminary. I was in a coffee shop, and near me there was an older man who I could hear striking up a conversation with a younger couple. And it quickly became apparent that the older man was trying to evangelize them from some kind of biblical fundamentalist position. The objects of his effort were polite, but not too interested. Yet he was persistent, and they were having a hard time cutting him off. I thought his efforts were a little bumbling, but I also thought, good for him. More Christians should do this. When was the last time I tried to just convert somebody like that? But as the conversation dragged on, I finally heard one of the spouses say, well, we're Catholic, but we don't really go to church. So my ears perked up a bit because now he was poaching on Catholic territory. That the couple was Catholic, was Catholic, or at least nominally so, really excited our would-be evangelist. He started to get into a whole bunch of reasons why the Catholic Church teaches all manner of things that violate the Bible. But especially, he was critical of the Eucharist and the Real Presence, saying that Catholics believe that a priest is crucifying Jesus again every time the Mass is offered, because it is called the sacrifice of the Mass. So at this point, I went over and introduced myself and said that I thought he was misrepresenting what the church actually teaches about the Mass. Now, the couple really appreciated me coming over because that gave them an opportunity to excuse themselves gracefully and go home, leaving just me and my newfound fundamentalist friend. So we went around and around and back and forth for a while discussing the nature of the Mass and the doctrine of transubstantiation. I could tell I was not getting anywhere with him. Finally, he said that he too had to get home, but he left me with one little gem of a thought. He said that Catholics have crucifixes, meaning a depiction of a cross with Jesus nailed to it, in our churches because we like to see Jesus suffer on the cross because we don't really love him. But that Bible-believing Christians like him have a bare cross because they understand that Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. I was so flabbergasted by this odd assertion that I had never heard before that it didn't occur to me to say the most obvious thing. Jesus didn't ascend to heaven from the cross. He didn't come back from the dead on the cross. He died on the cross the same way that you or I would if we were crucified. Yet the cross is the symbol of Christianity, whether it is a crucifix or a bare cross. Both are used as symbols in Catholicism, and both mean the same thing. A cross without the corpus of Jesus is still meant to represent Jesus' suffering on the cross. And there are a couple of reasons for this. For one thing, it would be really, really hard to have a symbol of Christianity based upon the resurrection or the ascension that you could wear around your neck. How do you depict an empty tomb or Christ's ascension on a necklace? Generations of Christian jewelry makers would have been out of a job. But more seriously, the real reason why the cross is the central motif of our faith and not the resurrection or the ascension is because it is the one thing that Jesus commands us to do. He doesn't command us to rise from the grave or ascend into heaven. 
That will be done for us at the end of time. But the cross is something that we do now. Not wait for the cross to come to you. Take up your cross and follow me. Jesus wants us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, in the words of St. Paul. In the Gospel reading, when Jesus starts to speak of his, to his disciples of his mission to the cross, Peter tries to prevent him. And Jesus rebukes him in no uncertain terms. Get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. In the passage just before this in Matthew, which we read last week, Jesus had anointed Peter as the head of the church because Peter had the faith to confess Jesus as the Messiah. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But here Jesus is telling us that this faith is all for naught if you you do not also embrace the cross. Faith without works is dead. If we confess Jesus, but we do not live the cross, we are simply an obstacle to Christ. This means not just accepting that Jesus will die on the cross, but that we too must die on the cross in our own way. Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In this one statement, Jesus sums up the basic paradox of the cross, and by extension of the entire Christian faith. Because the Christian faith is a faith of paradox, of seemingly irreconcilable ideas that make up a greater truth. The paradoxes of our faith are not reconciled by watering down each truth so that it can be mashed together with others. No, each one is colored in bold relief, like the panes of a stained glass window. Brilliant in itself, but beautiful in its relation to each other. The cross is a paradox in its very form. Two beams joined together at right angles, perfectly perpendicular. And so they only meet at the center, at the sacred heart of Jesus. It is the cross that represents Christ both in his humanity and in his divinity, neither of which is diluted or compromised. It represents Christ both reaching up to the Father as well as outward to embrace the entire world. By its shape, it draws all things into itself from above and below, from east to west. G.K. Chesterton, the famous English apologist, said that it is this embrace of the paradox of the cross that eludes so many critics of Christianity. He said, Modern man finds the church too simple exactly where modern life is too complex. He finds the church too gorgeous exactly where modern life is too dingy. Modern man dislikes the plain fasts and feasts, but is mad on French entrees. He dislikes priestly vestments for being pompous, but wears a pair of preposterous trousers. Chesterton said that when people asked him why he was a Christian, or more specifically a Catholic, he said, because it reconciles the greatest set of contradictions. 
He gave the example of a soldier who was surrounded on all sides by the enemy. In order to fight his way out, Chesterton said, he must simultaneously embrace a strong desire for living with a strange carelessness about dying. He must desire life like water, yet drink death like wine. It is the paradox of the cross that allows us to believe what our faith teaches. Hate the sin, yet love the sinner. Recognize the dignity of every human life, but recognize that none of us are ends in ourselves, but only point to the transcendent God. Understand that we are each an insignificant part of the universe, hardly a blip, but that each of us is a child of God, loved and able to be forgiven no matter what our sins. That we believe in a God who is the all-powerful creator of the universe, but who humbled himself to be born of a virgin and laid in a manger. To value both the beauty of celibacy in the priesthood and the consecrated life, yet also to cherish the fruitfulness of marriage and family. To believe that we have offended God's justice, but God lowered himself to our state in order to accept our punishment so that we might be forgiven. This is the theology of the cross. Each of its four branches like an antenna, drawing in everything of value towards the center, which is Christ. It is because of the paradoxical shape of the cross that our very being can be transformed, cruciformed, if you will, made more cross-shaped, so that the ancient fear of death that has haunted humankind from the beginning is now changed into an eternal victory. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Many want to believe in a non-challenging, non-political Christianity. But from the beginning, the cross was a uniquely political symbol. The cross was the Roman instrument of torture, the way they scared people into obedience. For crucifixion was the worst death imaginable. The power of evil always depends on instilling fear in the people. They must be led to believe that there is only one supreme power, and that is the government, or a dictator, or a tyrant. Not an earthly power that points to something greater like God, but earthly power as an end in itself. But Christ showed us through the cross that this is not the end. That is why Christians embrace the cross as a paradoxical triumph. It said to those evil people, to those tyrants and dictators, not just at that time, but throughout the millennia, is that all you've got? Thus we see in history that every dictatorship and would-be dictatorship finds itself in a zero-sum game with the one true church. A people who really believe that the priest's hands make present for them in the Eucharist the one who suffered on the cross, died, and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, knows that the greatest power is not in armies or secret police or death squads or torture chambers. For the most powerful words are not found in a tyrant's decree, but in the love of Christ echoed by an ordinary priest in the Mass. This is my body given for you given for you 
on the cross. Those who seek unjust power cannot live with the competition. We see that same dynamic at work in Iraq today. As jihadist forces persecute the small Christian communities that remain. We know that they are suffering and they need our prayers and our help, both humanitarian and military. But we know one other thing as well. That where Christians suffer, the cross rises higher and spreads wider still. In the end, no matter what happens, because of the cross, we have already won. The cross is the sign of victory. If only we will take it up and follow him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.